1: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to talk to ESPN Sports Center anchor Kevin Nagandi about the hiring of Nick Sirianni as the Eagles' new head coach. We'll also get you some reaction from around the league and from some of the Eagles players who are on social media. They've reacted to the hiring of former Colts offensive coordinator, the guy who worked directly under Frank Reich, Nick Sirianni, to take over as this team's head coach moving forward. And so uh, before we jump into anything else, however, I want to remind you to continue to hit BleedingGreenNation.com every single day for all the latest information on the Sirianni hiring and uh, to preview Championship Week this week. Uh, And I'm going to do that coming up here in the podcast a little bit as well, and I'll give you my thoughts on Nick Sirianni and uh, some of the factors that may have gone into this hiring. Uh, but first joining me to talk about the Eagles new coaching hire is Sports Center anchor and Philly sports fan Kevin Nagandi, good friend of the podcast. You probably already follow him on Twitter, but if you don't, he's at K Nagandi E S. P. N. Kevin, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy, my friend. How are you?
2: John, uh my pleasure, man. I- I'm good. Uh you know, Yesterday was, uh, there's a variety of reasons, uh, and the timing is well done by you, but there was a variety Mm -hmm. of reasons why yesterday stood out, but the one thing that specifically stood out to me was hard to believe that uh, Thursday, January 21st was uh, the three-year anniversary Mm -hmm. of, uh, I think, the greatest game at the link. Yeah. And uh, the Eagles getting over the hump and uh, smashing the Vikings and going to Super Bowl 52, and here we are on that, that same day on that anniversary, uh, you know, leading Sports Center, talking about a new head coach mm-hmm. for this Eagles team and trying to figure out what's next.
1: Yeah, I, you know, that day three years ago, to me, it's a toss up between that and the 2004 NFC Championship game against the Falcons. But, you know, the big difference between those two games, and I, I was at the game against the Falcons in '04. was that that was more of a relief. I mean, I don't know what would have happened if they'd lost that game after losing three sta- three straight title games, the the last two at home, and that. But that was that was certainly more of like a big exhale as opposed to a party. I, I still, you know, and after all the struggles that team had in NFC title games, how even the ones that they won felt like a struggle. It was bizarre to watch them win a laugher in the NFC title game that took them to the Super Bowl, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, well said. You know, it's a good way to, to put them in categories because, you know, that was a phenomenal game. And uh, of course, uh, B-Dawks hit on algae Crumpler still being felt uh, <laughs> yes. in South Philly. Mm-hmm. A- and you're right, because considering where they were and all the stuff they had to go through, um, completely different vibe. You know, mm-hmm. I was on the opposite end where I was in the uh, inside the link for the Vikings game. Mm-hmm. And that, you were holding your breath early on, and then mm-hmm. once Patrick Robinson got the interception and he returned it for the touchdown, it just opened up the floodgates. And the, the vibe the the next two hours felt like a party, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right, like a legit party. Yeah. Like each and every possession was like, can you believe they did this? <laughs> the flea flicker, you know, all that stuff was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And that final quarter, we didn't have to bite our nails, right? No. That final quarter felt like. I can't believe this is actually happening.
3: Mm-hmm. So, um
2: two completely different vibes and feelings and um for me uh for me 3 years ago will always stand out because you could celebrate with your own family, the mm-hmm. Philadelphia family because the Minnesota uh you know experience was completely different mm-hmm. uh because you're you're in a different place and and you're with uh you know people that are just meeting up together, but at the same time, you've got Patriots fans in that building, uh, yeah. the, the Philly experience and, and closing out a, a NFC championship game. Uh, honestly, there's nothing better in prime time and how they did it. And uh, I've gr- I've got great memories of that team. And, and, you know, that was three years ago. And, that feels like that was a decade ago, considering where we're at right now.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and let's talk about where we're at right now, because it's fun to reminisce. But uh, obviously, this football team has some, has some issues in the front office and with their quarterback situation. And those things are all going to be worked out here over the next few months and years. But right now, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the new head coach, the Eagles just hired offense, former offensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts under Frank Reich, Nick Siriani, And of course, um, this is a... This is a guy who I don't think many of us heard of before the last couple of weeks. This is certainly, you know, certainly football guys know who Nick Sirianni is. People who are who are, you know, live and breathe and and, and eat this stuff know who Nick Sirianni is. But for the casual fan, there was no reason to think he would be on anybody's shortlist. Of course, the Eagles didn't have a shortlist. They had a long list and they were looking at seemingly every coordinator under the sun here over the last couple of weeks. But um, just before we get into the details, what are your general impressions of, of Nick Sirianni?
2: You know, I feel like um, it's going to be hard to judge him early on because, first off, he he doesn't have head coaching experience, so he's going to be learning on the job. And, second, he's coming into a situation where um, the idea of molding a quarterback is going to be tough because he's got to figure out who's his quarterback. Mm -hmm. And uh, is this a question of are are you fixing the – the guy that looked like the cornerstone franchise quarterback, are you putting out fires inside a locker room because of, uh, are we, are we going to have factions inside that locker room that want to see Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts? Or there's so many unknowns on who's going to be the starter in September that this guy has to figure out, but at the same time he has to figure out his way through the entire locker room. So, the stuff I've heard from guys that I trust in the NFL uh, guys that I, I I've been texting uh, over the last, uh, you know, mm-hmm. six months, but also especially during the uh, the last week in the coaching search, the this... coaches that they interviewed just showed me that uh, the person that they really thought that they were going to have, wasn't the guy mm-hmm. or um things may have changed on the quarterback situation. Mm. And, you know, when you, when you see the connection that Frank Wright has and the influence that he has with Nick Sirianni and the conversation with Carson Wentz, you start to, you know, connect the dots. Oh, well, this would naturally make sense. But at the same time, I don't think he was on many people's radars. Right. And um, I, feel, I feel like, you know, I have some optimism, but I come back to one thing. And, and I haven't been this way, John, in a while when it comes to the Eagles. And it's really depressing. And I don't want to depress our audience. But like, <laughs> in the end, it doesn't matter who you have as the coach if the coach doesn't have any sense of power of putting mm-hmm. together a staff, if the coach doesn't have uh, any, any say or strong influence on how to build the roster, uh, that is what kind of free agents as well as what kind of draft picks. And Mm -hmm. that was a huge issue with Doug. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and when you win the Super Bowl, the way Doug won the Super Bowl, I think Doug deserved Mm -hmm. a little more um, room Mm -hmm. when it came to influence. And if that hasn't changed from above Doug uh, with the GM, then what are we talking about? We're talking about an owner and a GM that's going to have more say and more control in the same thing that we've seen before. And I've said this before during the entire uh, coaching search. Why would a head coach with experience um, or reputation mm-hmm. or the, uh, the hotshot, innovative uh, guy that's coming in like Lincoln Wiley, why would they come into this situation if they don't have a sense of control or power? So I think it's very predictable that we're seeing a first-time head coach. Uh, because it was the same thing we saw with Doug. It's this. It's the same track record. And if you are going to follow the same stuff, you're going to continue to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Above Doug, on who mm-hmm. is making the picks, and right? Clearly, clearly that has not been resolved yet, or at least not publicly. On understanding, how are we figuring out the talent pool? Because. Uh, what we're doing right now or what the Eagles have done right now has not worked. And when you look back, especially going back the last six, seven years,
1: the the head coaching search, it appeared, was down to two different people, Sirianni, who they eventually hired. And of course, uh, offensive coordinator for the Patriots, Josh McDaniels, who, the impression was if you wanted somebody if, if you wanted the the structure of this front office to change the power structure of this front office to change then McDaniels was probably your guy because he was probably going to be the one most likely to fight back against Howie Roseman and push for more control over the roster and he was going to be the guy that if the Eagles are set on Carson Wentz being fixed and coming back in, in 2021 and I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that, that the Eagles are convinced they're going to do that just yet but if that is something that the Eagles and Jeff Lurie seem to want to do is to bring Carson Wentz back. That McDaniel's is probably the guy who would get in his face more, and it sounds like Carson Wentz is in need of someone who's going to give him some more of that that tough love, the the, the abrasiveness that I think he's been missing over these last couple of years. And yet nobody really, and the fan base wanted Josh McDaniel's be, because of some of his track record too. So you know, is this is this kind of um, you know is this kind of the the better of Two evils is probably putting it a little bit strongly, but the better of two not so great options.
3: Um,
2: I'm not sure because I, I'm not sure how much I believe uh, that Josh McDaniels was going to be coming to Philadelphia. Mm. Uh, from the people that I've talked to, that I, I don't know if that was uh, if that was as serious as it was made out to be. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this: one thing that I could not understand with Josh McDaniels and that conversation coming to Philadelphia was if you look at his track record and how it blew up in Denver, how he burned a lot of bridges in Indy and his reputation on getting another job around the league. Clearly Josh had to find a place wherever he's going to eventually be a head coach. He has to find a place where, all right, this is my third third chance to, to hit something because who knows if i'm going to get another opportunity in the batter's box mm. i didn't understand why that opportunity would be in philadelphia that, I, that 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 to me still never made sense if the same structure is still built in place with howie roseman making the decisions why would josh mcdaniels come in this environment in the first place i i just you know again i come back to you know, if you're a first-time head coach, you have an opportunity. It's hard to say no, right? But mm-hmm. if you are working on your third strike, why would you come here if you don't have any type of power? Legit power,
1: yeah. right? Yeah.
2: Um, so I, I never really bought into the Josh McDaniels st- conversation because I was like, "Some there's a disconnect here. There's some spin going on that I don't understand. The, the Carson Wentz stuff, he's got to get mentally right. And honestly, and and that means he's got to accept criticism and be willing to change and be willing to accept his shortcomings. And um, I can't say whether he's ready to do that or whether he's accepted that. I come back to uh, the only analogy I can come back to is, guys, like in the last two years, if you're in Philadelphia, what is the one thing we notice about that basketball program in Philly? We mm. had two foundational stars, yeah. right? Yep. And some of the stuff you were hearing is, are they being coddled? Mm. Are, they, are they being challenged? Yeah. Face-to-face on a daily basis, are they dealing with criticism when they're being called out? And, you know, I like Brett Brown, but I don't think Brett Brown was doing that enough with the stars. Yeah. And what did they do? They bring in a veteran head coach like Doc Rivers. They, they bring in a general manager that, that understands the entire league and will, will ship you out if things don't work out because he's seen enough. Mm-hmm. And what do you see? You, you see a turnaround. You see definitely the turnaround in, in Joel. I mean, Joel is yeah. uh, my favorite athlete in the city uh, because I know, I know when he gives us 100%, the guy genuinely wants to ball out. And here's the thing: When we come back to the Eagles, are you getting somebody as a head coach that's going to call you out? I don't care about the potential. I don't care about your contract. I care about: Are you going to come in, day in and day out, to be better for the team, not just for you? Because we have to answer to everybody else in the locker room. Yeah. And I, I don't know if they have that. If they have that person there, because I, I and that's not a it's not a knock on nick i just don't know nick siriani well enough but mm. it, it goes above nick it has has the owner and the gm come to a point where they are going to call out the quarterback the franchise guy that is being paid like a franchise guy and tell him listen there are some things you need to clean up and you need to take care of this stuff because this is fair you know, criticism. Mm-hmm. This is not a personal thing. Right. This is fair. To be better, you've got to be better. And um, I think that's where we're at right now. And that's why I think you see the turnaround and the hope and the belief. Listen, man, all we want as Philadelphia fans is hope and belief, right? <laughs> yeah. And and we want responsibility. And I think we're seeing that in that Sixers organization. They did in the face and said, "All right, enough. We've got we've got to have basketball people." make basketball decisions. And I don't know if we have that right there in Philadelphia mm. because things have not changed above the head coach.
1: I remember when Doug Peterson was hired in 2016, there wasn't a lot of hope and faith in Doug Peterson. He was the the last candidate on the Eagles list, it sounded like. And really, when you look at all of Jeffrey Lurie's coaching decisions, with the exception of Chip Kelly, he's gone after someone who was really not on anybody's radar. Ray Rhodes, as the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, was not seen as one of the 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 top head coaching candidates but Ray Rhodes certainly had some success in Philadelphia especially in his first two seasons taking him to the playoffs and then of course we all know Andy Reid who hires a quarterback coach to be the team's head coach that was that was kind of unprecedented when Jeffrey Lurie pulled that off and and look what Andy Reid has become and then you had Chip Kelly who took the team to the playoffs in the first season but then sputtered quickly after that he was the most well-known commodity of all of the four head coaches that Jeffrey Lurie has hired so far And and I think when you look at Nick Sirianni. it's very much in the mold of of Ray Rhodes and Andy Reid and Doug Peterson. But I think what we saw with Doug Peterson too was just how important the rest of the coaching staff is around the head coach. You saw the success they had in 2017 when Frank Reich was there and John D. Filippo was there, and maybe some of that is a little bit overstated. But what I don't think is overstated is having a group of coaches who are all on the same page together and bringing in really talented people to work with. The head coach, especially someone who's never been a head coach before. So, what's your confidence level in Sirianni being able to build a staff that's going to be able to work well together, kind of like Doug Peterson's staff did in the first couple years that he was there?
2: Uh, That that is a huge question. And 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 are you going to allow the coach to cook the way he wants to cook? Right, right, right. Um, That 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 was a question with Doug Peterson. Was was Doug being able to put together his own staff and? Um, <laughs> I, I don't I it, it's hard for me to say anything until we can see who's hired and we find out why they were hired and who hired them mm-hmm. uh, because if it's the status quo then what are we doing like I, we are repeating the same mistakes over and over again and, and how much power are we giving above uh, above the head coach I, I, I just come back to that like that's why I'm kind of in this depressive state here or um you know i'm kind of numb to it all and just it's like well all right well you can make some of these changes but they're band-aids and cosmetic if if you cannot find the root of the problem and um and i will come i will say this listen howie i called howie out you know many times many times before and then when 2017 came around and he nailed literally every single thing, and they won the championship. I had a conversation with Howie, and I, I, I said, "Listen, you, you did a phenomenal job." And uh, and Howie, Howie uh, expressed himself, and he was he was not pleased with me. And then I said, "Good for you." I said, "You deserve to call everybody out," but at the same time, uh, this is a city that you know. They'll give you a break. You brought us a Super Bowl, and I think there was a honeymoon period the following year, and then some questions the following year. But now it's like, whoa, wait, wait, are we anywhere closer? No, we've gone, we've gone backwards, and we've gone mm-hmm. to pre-Super Bowl again, where it's like these some of these picks have just they have not panned out, and they have really hurt this team, and um, and then and then a lot of stuff's being made about. Hey, you know he he knows what he's doing with the salary cap. Well, look at look at the, where we're at in the salary cap. Yeah. we are in we're in bad shape. The Eagles are in bad shape. Yeah. So I, I just come back to why why didn't we get a clean break? Why didn't we just start all over here as we should have and kind of finger things out? And, and um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm I'm kind of at a loss for words. Uh, the first two picks in this last year's draft, I think, really set the franchise back. Because if you don't hit on that, that, that wide receiver, and Jalen Rager may be, may be a super talented guy, but he wasn't on the field enough. And when you see what Justin Jefferson did, the pick after, and then I like Jalen Hurts. I still don't understand the Jalen Hurts pick especially when you give Carson Wentz the money that you give and you have to fill all these other holes. Yeah. And I wanted Jeremy chin and look what Jeremy chin has has done in Carolina. Right. And you still didn't figure that out. We, we made that second round pick like a luxury pick that, that we are paying for right now. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not Jalen hurts problem. It's not his issue. It's not his fault. And it's the position that he's in. And, um, I just don't know. Uh, I don't know how this is going to play out inside the locker room where we have these two quarterbacks uh, uh, together on the same team in September. I-, I am skeptical.
1: I personally don't see how you can bring both back without it being an, an absolute mess. But um, you know, knowing the Eagles, it sounds as though that they might actually try to do that here, and it'll leave their head coach the the very first thing that he's got to deal with is a quarterback controversy, which is not something any new first-time head coach wants to deal with in a city like Philadelphia, for sure. Um, when
2: yes, th- and it comes back to this, right? You mentioned the mess. Who created that mess?
1: That's Howie Roseman. The same mm-hmm. person
2: that is still making the final decisions on personnel,
1: Yeah, no. and that's
2: that's the disconnect that I keep coming to. And you know what? Uh, this is not just on Howie. This is on Jeffrey Lurie
3: for oh, allowing yeah. it
2: to happen. Mm-hmm. This is on Jeffrey Lurie for, on his watch, again— I'm grateful for that he brought the Super Bowl uh, grateful but what have we learned from years of mistakes and I, I just don't know if the, these two guys have learned from mistakes uh, and and it is uh, I think it's going to wear down the fan base especially if fans are allowed to go to games in 2021.
3: Mm. If
2: fans were allowed to go in 2020 um, I think we would have seen a lot more changes.
1: That's that's a good point, too. Yeah, you're right. Owners tend to make decisions a lot of times based on fan reaction, and no owner wants to hear 45,000 people screaming boos on television in a nationally televised game. That that does not go over well. That's a, a very loud signal. Um, last thing for you, and, and you know, it's kind of the road not taken. Uh, guys like Eric Bien-Aimé, um, not getting an interview with, with the Eagles. I know he's still going through the process with the Chiefs, and, you know, when you're on a—, a a perennial Super Bowl contender and you're you're deep into the postseason every year you kind of get passed over for some of these opportunities because teams want to make decisions sooner rather than later and they have to wait around but also a guy like Deuce Staley sitting who has been in this organization through a couple of different coaches now never has gotten that big opportunity and the players all voiced on social media at least they're their preference or at least their support for Deuce Staley to be taken seriously as a candidate and do you get a sense for, for how how seriously the Eagles considered either guy or whether you think they should have been considered more seriously than they were
2: first off i come back to um, you know the argument i made with Lincoln Riley and Josh McDaniels why why would Eric Bieniemy come here mm. you, you wait for a head coaching job um and then you don't have a say in many things. I, I, I just don't Yeah. So I would I would love Eric the enemy. If 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 we had the opportunity to to talk to him and the Eagles uh had a different structure, I would say, yeah, this this feels like it makes sense. And um I, I think Eric the enemy decision making wise, at least on the Philadelphia situation, uh if he's not gonna get uh a certain power uh, why? Why would he come here for his first head coaching job? Yeah, because um, that's just that wouldn't make sense considering uh, potential options out there. Now, yeah. uh, I'm stunned that he didn't get hired in this coaching cycle. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that uh, he didn't get coach. Uh, you know, he didn't get a, a potential job. I, I think um, the goalpost move and that that conversation when it comes to minority hiring and it really, really ticks me off. And and I think it's embarrassing for Deuce. Um, I will say this deuce is loved inside that locker room because he holds people around him accountable. Mm. Um, and that is a big, big to me storyline deuce doesn't put up with BS and, um, and, and I think that carries a lot of weight and it carries a lot of weight with players. When, when you have a coach who sees eye to eye with you and also has the same kind of mentality across the board with everybody in the locker room. And, um, and I, I don't know what happened with the conversations. I don't know what happened with the interviews. I just know the personality of Deuce. And um, I, I just, I, I I love hearing that there are coaches that hold people accountable. And if that was used against them or mm. as like deemed as not, not a good fit, then, you know, that, that comes back to much deeper issues and layers within the organization. And I'm saying this, John, that I don't know if that's the case. I'm just saying that the things I know about Deuce and his personality is that, you know, hey, if you don't hold your end of the bargain, then let's move on to the next guy. Yeah, uh, Because everybody in this locker room needs to hold up to their end. And um, when, when you could do that, that reputation inside the locker room People will trust you through and through because they know where they stand with you at all times, and that's the thing I respect the most about Deuce.
1: Real quick, before I let you go, any any thoughts on the uh, the two championship games this weekend? You got the, uh, the the Chiefs taking on the Bills in in Kansas City, and you've got uh, the Packers hosting Tampa Bay and Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Any quick predictions or thoughts on these two games?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty boring. I'm going to go with the Packers. Um, but God forbid if you pick against Tom Brady and what he can do. <laughs> right. um, but I just think uh, I think Aaron Rodgers, uh, Devontae Adams, uh, I, I, the, the matchup with uh, Rodgers versus Todd Bowles defense is what I'm most looking forward to. If, if the Packers get any pressure on Tom Brady, uh, then it's game over. The, mm-hmm. the key is getting pressure on Tom Brady, and they could not do that in week six. Uh, that will be critical for the Packers defense because if Brady's clean in the pocket, uh, then he could pick and, and, and he will be dangerous. But uh, I come back to, to the, to the two biggest playmakers on my, in my mind on the field are Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Right. So that's why I picked the Packers as for that chiefs bills game. Um, it, it comes down to the health of Patrick Mahomes.
3: Mm-hmm. If,
2: if Mahomes, You know, and I'm not saying anything about the concussion. If Mahomes' toe is okay, uh, then the Chiefs win this, um, and and I think that they cover. So uh, the the question will be, can the Chiefs get anything from their running game? Because I think you're going to see both quarterbacks chuck the ball at least 40 times. Mm. And if the Chiefs can get anything from their running game, uh, that will help Mahomes um, immensely. Uh, listen, when you look at the Bills, shoot, what the Bills did against Baltimore, they were like, all right, we're just, we're just going to throw the. This is an Andy <laughs> Reid's throwback game. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our screen games are running at, uh, you know, our handoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, I just uh, I lean on the Chiefs uh, in that environment and the Mahomes Magic just because that's the one thing I trust.
1: Well, listen. It's going to be a fascinating weekend of football. Great quarterback matchup in the NFC, and really a great quarterback matchup in the AFC too. If we're if if Mahomes is playing, so they should be two pretty interesting football games. And of course, the uh, what the Eagles do next with their with the rest of their coaches and the Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts saga is going to keep us busy uh, all spring and summer long. Folks, make sure you are watching SportsCenter every single day. Follow him on Twitter at kev ESPN. Kevin, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy again, man. I appreciate it.
2: John, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I hope you're safe and well and my best to everybody listening.
1: Well, up next, I'll give you some some more thoughts about the hiring of Sirianni, uh, some of the numbers behind it, perhaps, and also a Championship Week preview that's coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience
1: And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So some of the reaction from around the league and um, Sirianni, again, as we've talked about, is one of those guys who people inside football know him a lot better than those of us who watch football and follow the Eagles really closely, but maybe, you know, don't keep track of exactly the 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 ins and outs and the inner workings of every offensive and defensive coordinator around the NFL field Yates who of course most of you know from ESPN he's one of their fantasy football gurus tweeted out that Sirianni and him were both hired the same year in Kansas City when he was the offensive quality control coach he said that dude worked and worked and worked tirelessly taking on any task asked he earned the respect of everyone around him coaches and players alike Eagles got a good one Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer, quoting an NFL source familiar with Sirianni's credentials as a hedge coach, said, quote, good guy, solid candidate. This is from the NFL source. Fairly smart, but not super smart. It's a little bit of a backhanded compliment. Concern is he is likely to top out at a B-level coach for a team that is in the mix to make the playoffs. Not a real Super Bowl chance. Low drama, even keel. Brandon Lee Gowton, of course, from BGN Radio, Uh, his quick take on the Eagles hiring of Nick Sirianni. He said he's whelmed overwhelmed or underwhelmed seems like a reasonable hire entering an undesirable situation though of course i don't disagree with that at all mike k uh said i spoke with an nfl source who's familiar with nick sirianni's coaching approach said his strength is he focuses on the positive attributes of players as opposed to the negatives and the source said he coaches to his players strengths i certainly like that as well a couple other quotes from around the league Uh, adam kaplan uh, quoted a coaching source On Sirianni said he really grew into his role of offensive coordinator since the beginning with Frank Reich. He got that sense being around him that he was ready for more each season. Frank was the perfect guy to have as a mentor. And Albert Breer... Uh, basically assured everybody that Sirianni won the job over the other candidates uh, that we talked about just a second ago with Kevin Nagandi. Some of the Eagles players' reaction, uh, Lane Johnson tweeted out, let's ride, hashtag fly, Eagles fly, hashtag pave the lane. Um, Kayvon Wallace uh, did a double eye, wide-open eye emoji there. And Alex Singleton screamed, let's get it in all caps. Um, So that's the reaction from Eagles fans so far. No reaction from Carson Wentz on social media, as I've seen as of yet. In fact, the last thing that I've seen from Carson Wentz on his Twitter account and on his Instagram account was from December 25th. Now he's a new dad; he and his wife just had a baby uh, late in the 2020 season. So, uh, but that was that's the last social media post we've seen from Carson Wentz about any of this, and we haven't heard anything from him uh, over these uh, over these last couple of months. So, uh, we are obviously all waiting to see. Uh, what, what Carson Wentz thinks of this hire. But that's some of the reaction around the NFL. And I wanted to get you some sound from Sirianni as well. The Colts website released some audio from him either, I think this was from practice this year, but it might have been from last year, where he was mic'd up at a Colts practice. Take a listen to this. What's
4: up, Glo? I'm mic'd up. See, they're taping us right now. Got it. It. Catch it. Catch it. I'll give you $100. bucks. All right, Jonathan. What? This is the one you fumbled last year, one, two, there you go. We got to own this route right here. Little, you can get a little bit more. Now you'll feel it when somebody's on you if you can't, but you can get a little bit more there because that's a, we're trying to get this to you, catch and go. Paris, at some point, get vertical. I got the GoPro and everything. Good. I go over top, you back shoulder. With the GoPro? With the go, you got me with the go, I like this at the top, because it's like I, it's like when you were in high school with people and you just do that, and they would flinch. That's what it feels like as a receiver. You didn't flinch when I, hit, when I went to hit you. Why not, you're not scared of me? What is your best attribute? Yeah, huh? Yeah, then after you catch the ball, you're a beast with the ball. But you gotta practice that, you gotta catch, and everything, you gotta catch and burst. Catch and burst so you get in that habit. Dig. Go off the ball dig off the football chad flip your feet good call jacoby right that's what we did
1: i mean you love the energy right sounds like a very positive guy definitely sounds like a player's coach which is usually a pretty good thing uh, he sounds like he's a lot of fun out there with the players, but you know, is he harder on his players when when they need it? Is is he able to go from being kind of a um, a, a buddy and a, a a positive guy on the field and and getting people's faces when when they need to hear it? And you know, not all coaches are like that. Tony Dungy was a very good coach without necessarily being a screamer and getting in someone's faces. And let's not forget he had Peyton Manning for a really long time, who's a bit of an A personality himself. Here's what Frank Reich had to say about him a few years ago when he first got the Colts job and how he knew that he wanted Sirianni to be his offensive coordinator.
5: Nick, uh, we worked for three, three years together in San Diego. Uh, it didn't take me long uh, during that tenure there that I thought if I ever had this opportunity, he would be the guy I would want to be my coordinator. Um, you know, he's extremely intelligent. Uh, he's... He's very energetic, very passionate about ball. Uh, he's a great teacher, very systematic in his thinking. And just the way we see the passing game and the way we think about offensive football, very similar. And uh, very excited about having that, that we could get Nick out and, and be here with us. Nick, uh, we worked for three, three years together in San Diego. Uh, it didn't take me long uh, during that tenure there that I thought if I ever had this opportunity, he would be the guy I would want to be my coordinator. Um, you know, he's extremely intelligent. Uh, he's, he's very energetic, very passionate about ball. Uh, he's a great teacher, very systematic in his thinking. And just the way we see the passing game and the way we think about offensive football, very similar. And uh, very excited about having that that we could get Nick out and and be here with us.
1: So he definitely fits the Frank Reich mold, which should please just about everyone who wanted Frank Reich to be this team's head coach. When you look at his uh, his his offense's performance here uh, with the Indianapolis Colts over the last three years in terms of in terms of uh, EPA per play in 2018 with Andrew Luck, the team was 12th with uh, Jacoby Brissett. In, as the starting quarterback, when Luck surprisingly retired a few days before the start of the season in 2019, they were middle of the pack 15th. But then this year with Philip Rivers, they were eighth. So this is a pretty good offense under Sirianni and Frank Reich. And listen, at the end of the day, this is truly going to be a wait and see hire, guys, because as Kevin said a couple of times in our interview, no seasoned head coach, no top of the line head coach, and it doesn't sound as though Eric Bieniemy wanted to interview with the Eagles. And some of the information that's come out um, over the last uh, day or so indicates that Bieniemy perhaps didn't want to interview with the Eagles. No big time college brain was going to come here and subjugate themselves under Howie Roseman the way Jeffrey Lurie would want them to. So that essentially left the Eagles with nothing but first time head coaching candidates, you know, offensive and defensive coordinators with no play calling experience. And so at the end of the day. If the Eagles couldn't invent a time machine and go back to the offseason after Super Bowl 52 and fire Doug Peterson, knowing that he'd be fired just three short years later and give the job to Frank Reich, then hiring Reich's offensive coordinator and the guy that has molded Sirianni is probably the next best thing to the Eagles trying to alter the space time continuum. <laughs> so, you know, by all accounts and everything you've seen online and, and, and from the sound of it, he sounds like a competent coach who is from, again, all accounts tough with his players, but also looks to accentuate what they do well. So I'm not worried about the fact that he hasn't called plays before. That is not a prerequisite to being a good head coach. You know, Doug Peterson only called plays a little bit of the time under Andy Reid. Remember John Harbaugh? He was the special teams coach under Andy Reid. Do you think he called any plays? He's been pretty good with the Ravens, don't you think? Probably a Hall of Fame head coach. Andy Reid hadn't really called plays under Mike Holmgren before the Eagles hired him. It's not the be-all, and all of head coaching. And I prefer a head coach that wants to utilize the talent that he has on hand to the best of their ability, rather than to try and force players into a rigid system. It works better that way. Now, it'll be interesting to see how he rounds out the rest of his staff. We talked about that just a minute ago. What kind of defense he prefers, what style of offense he'll run. That's really important, as we found out here at the end of Doug Peterson's tenure. A guy like Eric Bieniemy probably would have been a more obvious choice. But again, it sounds as though he turned down an opportunity to interview with the Eagles. Some of the reasons above were obviously the reasons why. You know, some of the reasons with Howie Roseman that we that we talked about in the interview. Uh, were almost certainly some of the reasons why. And the quarterback situation is something that not many coaches who seemingly have options in front of them want to take on their first time around. Yeah, I thought Mike Kay had a great line about this. He wrote in a piece, Carson Wentz just won something for the first time since October, the Eagles head coaching search. You know, it's pretty obvious that if the Eagles were going to bring in a coach that could or would placate Wentz, that it would be someone like Sirianni, who by all accounts is not a tough guy like Josh McDaniels. And I think in a lot of ways, McDaniels is a, is a fake tough guy, right? Yeah. Mo- most of the, most of the word you hear about McDaniels is, is that he's, he's arrogant more than he is confident. And, and that's not, I don't think that gets, I don't get, think that gets through to players. And so, with Sirianni, some of the obstacles he's facing is obviously Howie Roseman making the decisions. We've seen the direction the team has gone under Howie Roseman over these last few years. The other thing is he will automatically, unless the team trades Carson Wentz or trades Jalen Hurts this offseason, will have a quarterback controversy on his hands. Because you know the saying, if you've got two quarterbacks, you don't have any. And that is absolutely true. He's going to be tasked with fixing a quarterback who also may not think he needs to be fixed. I wrote this for Bleeding Green Nation last week, or earlier this week, actually. It was. Who wants their first job out of the gate to be to butt heads with a stubborn quarterback who so far has seemingly made excuses for his poor play and doesn't think and isn't receptive to touch. Doesn't think he needs and isn't receptive to any tough coaching. So this, these are some of the headwinds facing Nick Sirianni here. It, it, if Carson Wentz did win the quarter, the the coaching search. Does that mean that Carson Wentz feels like he's going to be able to own Sirianni, that he's going to be able to push Sirianni around? Will Sirianni push back? Do the Eagles want a head coach who's going to push back against Carson Wentz? Do they see it as a problem that Wentz reportedly refused to listen to tough coaching from uh, from Press Taylor and Doug Peterson? Because that, that is what we're hearing is a lot of the reasons why Doug Peterson was let go. So are they looking to bring in—they obviously didn't want to bring in a guy like Josh McDaniels, and you heard Kevin just a minute ago talking about not really being sure exactly how serious the Eagles were in Josh McDaniels. Maybe they were doing that to put a scare into Carson Wentz. You would like to think that, upon reflection here over the last couple of months, that Wentz has been thinking more about how he played this year, his response to his his poor play— maybe being more open and receptive to criticism, but you would have thought after the Philly voice piece that came out a couple of years ago that that might have changed him, and it apparently did not in any way, shape, or form. And so how much of a headache is Nick Sirianni going to have on his hands with, with Carson Wentz, right? I mean, that's that's really what a lot of what this is coming down to. How much of a headache is he going to have on his hands? Will, And maybe he won't be there. Maybe the Eagles are looking at Carson Wentz, as a tradable commodity for a team that, that needs to add some more draft picks as part of a rebuild. But really, we just, we just don't know much about Nick Sirianni. So, I mean, the, but here's the thing, too. This is nothing new under Jeff Lurie. Jeff Lurie hires guys that are under the radar. We didn't know much about Ray Rhodes either before he was hired back in '95. We didn't know much about Andy Reid before he was hired in 1999. And we were underwhelmed when the Eagles decided to bring Doug Peterson back to Philadelphia in 2016. The one coach we did know that was hired under Jeffrey Lurie was Chip Kelly, and although he went to the playoffs his first year, look how that turned out. So name recognition isn't everything. Having a long, extensive history of play calling isn't anything. And let's also remember that Jeff Lurie is pretty good at hiring head coaches. All four of the coaches he hired, even Chip Kelly, went to the playoffs. That streak actually extends back to 1986 when Norman Bremen hired Buddy Ryan and Richie Kotite. Marion Campbell is the last Eagles head coach who failed to take the Birds to the postseason, and his tenure ended in Ronald Reagan's second term back in 1985. So Jeff Lurie has been pretty good. He's had a pretty good eye for head coaching talent over the years, especially getting head coaches from places and in positions where you didn't really think or hadn't really heard of those guys before. But so much of Sirianni's success is going to be predicated on whether or not the Eagles try to trade Wentz. If they can find a taker, I still think they move him. And you have to wonder if Reich talked to Sirianni about Wentz and what he had to say if he did. If Sirianni has a lot of Reich in him, maybe he can turn Carson Wentz around. We're talking about potentially trading Carson Wentz. Who who are we talking about trading him to? The Colts, where Sirianni just left, where Frank Reich still is. Right? If, if, If they believe... And if Frank Reich believes, and obviously if Sirianni was still there, I would imagine maybe they had discussions about Carson Wentz while they were there. You have to believe that Sirianni talked to Frank Reich about Carson Wentz before agreeing to this job, right? What was Frank Reich telling Nick Sirianni about Carson Wentz? Yes, you can fix him. Yes, he's a winner. Yes, we can, you know, if, if the Eagles decide to trade him here, I can, I can turn him around. I wonder what those conversations were. And how much of an effect that's going to have on Carson Wentz's future in Philadelphia and whether Jeffrey Lurie tries to trade him. And a lot is going to be dependent. Sirianni's future is going to be dependent on on Howie Roseman not screwing things up, right? Specifically in the draft. They've got the number six overall pick. If they trade Wentz before March, do they use it on a quarterback? Probably. Or do they continue to be stupid with their first through third round picks, stashing players like they're a Super Bowl contender, like they don't need any help? Or do they actually go out and get good players who can actually help them now? And again, what about the coordinators? We saw how everything fell apart for Doug once two guys he worked really well with, Reich and DiFilippo, left. Assistant coaches that work well with the players and the head coach are vital to success in the NFL, as we have seen. So at the end of the day, we just don't know much about this guy. We, If the current power structure remains the direction of the team, and its success may be out of his hands anyway. I don't think he was brought on board simply so that he could be a puppet for Howie Roseman, but they certainly did not bring aboard, and they certainly were not able to bring aboard a head coach with a lot of experience, one of the bigger marquee names, and I think a lot of that has to do with the influence of Howie Roseman and how much influence Jeffrey Lurie wants Howie Roseman to have. So for more of the X's and O's of Nick Sirianni, make sure to check out a special episode of Solak and Solak that came out on Thursday, minutes after Sirianni was hired. He helps you break down kind of what Sirianni has liked to do uh, between the white lines um, on that podcast with the Indianapolis Colts and going back and taking a look at why I know Ben thinks that Sirianni was his number one choice, that gives me some confidence. To be perfectly honest with you, he's got all that for you on the Solak and Solak podcast, and we will have continuing coverage of the hire and detail all of all of the other coaching moves that get make, that get made as time moves on here over the next couple of days and weeks with the Nick Sirianni hiring. All right, on to Championship Week. No surprise that the two home teams are the favorites. Green Bay hosts Tampa Bay in the NFC Championship game in the early game at 3.05. The Packers are favored by three and a half points in that one. I'm picking the Packers here. When you watch Aaron Rodgers and the Packers on offense right now, everything they do just looks effortless. And credit LaFleur. I was not convinced that LaFleur was going to be able to continue the success that he had last year when he got the Packers to the NFC Championship game. They've been even better this year. Rogers seemingly knows what to do with the football on every single play and behind a good offensive line with Devontae Adams at wide receiver, with Aaron Jones in the backfield. I just don't see how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be able to stop him. You do have Tom Brady and the Bucs do have a lot of talent, although Antonio Brown is not going to play for the Buccaneers in this one, but they do seem to have hit their stride over the last few weeks. But playing on the road shouldn't be as tough as it normally is in an NFC championship game and Brady has a ton of experience. But Rodgers also has a ton of experience, and I expect, I expect Aaron to get the better of this matchup. Either way, we will get to watch the two best quarterbacks of this era battle it out with an invitation to the Super Bowl on the line. This should be a great quarterback matchup like we've seen back in the day with Troy Aikman and Steve Young, uh, like we'd seen uh, with Brett Favre and, and Troy Aikman and, and all those guys when, when, when those guys were in their heyday. Those were some great quarterback matchups, and I think you're gonna get another one here. I've got Packers 35, Bucks 31. In the AFC Championship game, in which Buffalo is going to Kansas City for the late game at 640. The Chiefs are favored by two and a half or three points, depending on your sports book. I think this Bill season has been enchanted. I know a lot of people say it reminds them of the 2017 Eagles season. I see that too. I especially see that in Josh Allen. He looks so much like 2017 Carson Wentz. It's crazy. And that whole team just has a feel-good vibe to it that is contagious. I'm rooting hard for the Buffalo Bills for this postseason. That fan base needs a championship more than any other fan base in professional sports. But no matter how much it feels like they are, the 2017 Eagles, I will tell you, if the 2017 Eagles had to face Patrick Mahomes and the 2020 Chiefs, I'm not sure there would have been a chance for them to play in Super Bowl 52. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are the most lethal duo in football right now. And since it looks like Mahomes is going to play on Sunday, and he's supposedly passed all the the COVID protocols, um, as I'm recording this on Friday afternoon, they have confirmed that he is going to play You have to give this game to the defending Super Bowl champs at home in what I think could be an NFL classic, a high-scoring affair. I've got this one, Chiefs 40, Bills 38. I'm calling a high-scoring game on this one, and I think you're going to get an instant classic on your hands in the AFC Championship. Either way, both of these games should be outstanding football on Sunday afternoon. Folks, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Kevin DeGondi once again for coming on the podcast. And don't forget to check out the other podcast that I have out. It came out on Thursday morning. A new Friday, pardon me, it came out on Friday morning. A new BGN Memories. We are celebrating the 40th anniversary of the 1980 Eagles' NFC Championship Championship season. And because it's championship week, this week, I took a deep dive into the NFC title game between the Eagles and Dallas Cowboys at Veterans Stadium, forty. 40- years ago one of the greatest games in franchise history and of course we talked all about the wilbert montgomery run the dallas cowboys jersey controversy and everything else that made that game one of the greatest in franchise history so make sure you check out that episode of bgn memories where we break that whole game down and everything that led up to it thanks everybody for tuning in we'll talk to you next time here on eye on the enemy
3: You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com Flagship. This is a paid advertisement.
0: Here's the truth about AI. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into.